Welcome to a new edition of the Goshen News Sports Podcast. Talking to you as always, Goshen News Sports Editor Austin Huff. With me, Goshen News Sports Reporter Evan Leepak. And Evan, we have a very special guest on this edition of the podcast. Joining us via the phone is IHSAA Commissioner Paul Nydig. Paul, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing great. Uh, we're uh, we're post championship season and we're sitting here in the office today training uh, some new athletic directors for their uh, their march uh, on the world <laughs> in this business and actually preparing some stuff for the fall so we're we're well into the season of getting ready for a little Friday night light that's right around the corner isn't that crazy to think about man football is about less than a, like about five weeks away yeah we're yeah. getting there how yeah. about that you got it. We got four or five new ADs up here, so you might have some of them down there. Uh, Westview, Northridge, uh, Northwood as well. Some new ADs. So very yeah, exciting. Well, either, we have two sessions every year. Uh, we have one this today, and we have one in a couple weeks. And typically, with assistant athletic directors and athletic directors, we train over a hundred new athletic directors every year. Wow, that's kind of crazy. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan's, Evan is here. I don't think he spoke yet, but Evan's here, so you could you could say hi as well, Evan, I guess. How's it going, podcast? Another great episode. Looking forward to it. Especially Friday Night Lights, five weeks away already. That's crazy. August 20th. Scrimmages on August 13th, really, so if you want to get you know, super excited. Um, awesome. Well, Paul, again, we really appreciate you taking some time. I know you're a busy man, uh, getting ready for the new school year, and... Uh, so you just got off your first year as commissioner. Uh, how you feeling after, I'm sure, a very unique and un- unprecedented uh, first year for any IHSA commissioner or commissioner in any state, period. How you feeling? Well, you know, I, I, what I feel is a lot of gratitude towards our member schools and, uh, you know, coaches and, you know, school administrators and parents uh, for everybody pitching in to allow this year to happen um, and, and that's what I feel I mean this is I've often spoke about Team Indiana from Governor Hopin's office to uh, Dr. Box to Dr. Katie Jenner to the association it was never an adversarial process uh, to get through this year it was about how are we going to do it but even more importantly we taught kids kids were in the classrooms from in most places and I think that was able to happen first so we could participate in extracurricular activities and, and, and play some games along the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing that we got through this um, relatively unscathed. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later as, as we go on here with our discussion here. Um, but yeah, it was, I, it's, as, a, as a journalist, I was pretty happy we had sports. I'm just going to say that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I had, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll digress here a little bit. I have a longtime friend that's been a journalist for a long time, and we were talking. And he won't be named, but he was asking me about, <laughs> you know, participation and how can you do that. And it was just a personal conversation between the two of us. And I said, well, we better figure it out, or I don't know what you're going to be doing in the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he said, uh, I never thought about that way, but we're going to figure it out, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got through the summer. Yeah. I got through a summer on skate, but if we hadn't had fall or anything, then that would have been a little dicey. Uh, so, yes. yeah. So, like Austin said, Paul, this is your first year, you know, as the commissioner here. For some, for some people that don't know you as well, uh, what what what's your background kind of look like leading up to uh, this position? 
Oh my, I've, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, there's several things out there and I've done enough different things in my career. Some people would say I didn't do any of them very well. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had an opportunity to start teaching at a place called Emsel Central many years ago. Um, and I taught and I coached basketball there and uh, eventually became an assistant athletic director and then I became uh, an athletic director and then uh, eventually moved into to central office. I always say I became one of those guys um, and, and I had a lot of experience there dealing with athletics at a district level uh, but other things. I uh, ended my career in Evansville four years ago as the chief of staff for Dr. David Smith and um, with a wealth of just experience. And I just, you know, I never left that school corporation. Um, um, but along the way, I also had an opportunity to serve on the board of directors of the IHSAA from that seat and the, the governance side of the association. And so that taught me to look at the state from a wide lens um, and not necessarily what was best for Evansville, Indiana or Evansville Central High School. And so, you know, we learned some things along the way. And ultimately, the position opened up here when Mr. Phil Gardner retired, and I was applied and was named the assistant commissioner. Um, and then, you know, three short years later, uh, they gave me the keys to the office and allowed me to put my spin on the association. Um, and it was... Uh, it was an interesting year to do that, but we did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And uh, obviously it started uh, before we kind of dive into your commissioner, first year's uh, commissioner. You know, obviously this crazy year really started last March 2020 and when you were still an assistant commissioner and you oversaw basketball uh, as part of your assistant commissioner roles. And, of course, in last March 2020, we had to you know, stop the basketball tournament, uh, the boys' basketball tournament at least. Uh, how tough was that for you? I and mean, you've played basketball, I believe, growing up in, in Indiana too, so you know the traditions. And um, just how tough was that for you to have to kind of tell kids, like, I'm sorry, you can't play in, in the regional tournament? Yeah, it was a tough day. Uh, I'll never forget. It was the Friday before um, regional were going to be played on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first couple schools had decided that they needed to go home. And then a few other schools called and said we weren't going to be able to host the regional. And we kept um, we kept plugging those holes. And then we started losing officials that didn't feel comfortable going to officiate the contest. And uh, it was right before noon uh, on Friday before regionals. And I still remember walking into Commissioner Cox's office and said, "Probably we, I don't. It, the, the cards are against us. I don't believe it's safe or the right thing to do to continue to play this tournament." And and he agreed. And you know, it was a heartache uh, of that decision, uh, knowing that you know you have kids that work hard to be an athlete, to represent their school, and they were not able to, uh, if you're a senior, you were not able to complete your career um, in the state tournament, and, and, and it was a difficult time, it was a tough time, uh, the thing we always had was hope that we would get back, we never shut the door off and shut the door immediately, um, but as we moved on to the spring and the pandemic continued to grow, um, we, we it became obvious that we weren't going to be able to participate uh, in the boys basketball tournament or any spring sports for that matter. It was tough. I mean, it was a tough but 
the thing that I've often said, as tough as it was, coaches prepare kids to deal with adversity too. And there's probably not much adversity greater than what they dealt with last year. But our, our folks handled it with dignity and grace, and they understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Friday the 13th, I'll never forget it. So <laughs> it was almost ominous in that sense. Um, of course, it, it was on that day. Yeah, of course, yeah. right. It was Friday the 13th. It's, honestly, like, it, like Paul said, it's a day I'll never forget either. Um, you know, just as a yeah. local sport, it really that's when it really hit Indiana directly. You know, the, the national sports had kind of settled, had all been canceled and things like that, but we were still holding out hope for the basketball tournament. And when that was suspended, it was like, okay, like this is like for real, for real. Like this is going to be a, a, a serious Thing. So that's a day one. You know what, people? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Well, and the, the level of planning that we were doing trying to get the tournament in, mm-hmm. um, we knew that it was not going to get any better. But we, <laughs> it was never a published plan. But we had, uh, if we had gotten through the regional weekend, uh, we were actually um, going to play a, uh, we were going to do a different format. We were going to do two games in one day at the semi state to crown the state championship that evening um, so we could make sure that we could get it in. Um, and that would have been a completely different format than we've used in the past, but we knew time was our enemy. Um, and so we were looking at all options available to us. Wow, that's actually kind of cool. I don't think uh, I don't know how many how, I don't know how many people know that. That's kind of an interesting little backstory there about trying to play Probably two games not. in one day. That's cool. So yeah, it was <laughs> but, just, it, again, we knew we needed to mm-hmm. cut the time to be able to have a chance to get it in. Yeah, and that was one of the plans. Obviously, yeah. So obviously, Paul, you were dealing with you know the COVID issues as the assistant commissioner a few months before you took over. But what was that transition of power like between you and Bobby? You know, when you took over on August fourth, August first, when you're dealing with all the COVID issues at that point as well. Well, yeah, Commissioner Cox is such a uh, an outstanding individual and, and loved this association. And and I would just tell you that our transition was was good. It was seamless. Uh, any questions that I had, Commissioner Cox was always more than willing to spend the time to, to answer those. And I think the other thing that's kind of special, sometimes you don't know enough to ask the right question. <laughs> uh, going into a new job, and Commissioner Cox also made sure that I was asking the right questions to get the information I needed to be able to, to run this organization. Mm-hmm. Did he really uh, help with that? You know, the other thing that I would say, though, the, the, the blessing that I have is I've also... I uh, have two other former commissioners, um, Mr. Blake Ress and Mr. Bob Gardner, are, are also individuals that I've spent time with, um, learning from them about their tenure in their leadership roles at the association. Yeah, what, do you, what did you maybe learn the most from those either of those men? You know, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, you, you, you have to keep everything in perspective while sport is important. Um, it's never more important than the classroom. Um, and our decision-making structure has to be what's best for the last kid who makes the team uh, because that's the experience that we have to protect uh, as we, we, we govern this sport. Uh, well, the, the great athletes are fun to watch, and I certainly support those. But in a lot of cases, they're going to be all right. Um, <laughs> But what we really worry about is that kid who's just just part of the team, but he gets uh, an opportunity in life to learn things because he is part of the team right. along the way. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so yeah, this is obviously a very crazy year. We've kind of, I think everyone knows kind of what we all went through with COVID and contact tracing and things like that. But I kind of wanted to focus in a little bit on a specific time frame. Felt like in early November, things really started upticking with COVID cases and contact tracing. And I know uh, states around us had to kind of cancel or postpone or delay state tournaments, especially football. I know Michigan football uh, state tournament was delayed a little bit. Were you ever close at all to ever having to do a shutdown of sorts? Uh, or well, Take me through some of what those discussions were like in November, early winter, when the cases really started upticking in the state. I think that's, uh, that's and I, I reflect back on the time, that's probably the time that I would call the toughest. Um, and again, it's that transition from being outside uh, to coming indoors, and there was so much uh, the positivity rates across the state was going up, and uh, but you know, as we watched the numbers, uh, the, the school population base was still relatively low, uh, and so, and we also learned over time that, well, and I and I always want to be cautious here because I do never, I never want to disrespect the tragedy mm-hmm. of COVID nineteen uh, right. because it's real. You know, I, I had an aunt that uh, passed of it and then have several people that I know well that either became really sick. I mean, I, I had it myself back in December. Uh, and so you always have to respect that. But we also knew that giving kids an opportunity to do what they love uh, was also important for the mental health aspect of, of students. So, you know, while it, it really got tough in November, um, you know, we had several conversations, but, uh, you know, the, the answer was that we've just got to continue to find a way to go through it. And we had quarantines where kids couldn't play because they were close contact. We had some schools that weren't able to participate uh, because enough kids on the team were shut down for a little while. Um, you know, and we had a myriad of, of things that went on, but the vast majority of kids in schools continued to participate, even through the tough times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, condolences to your aunt, by the way, uh, for mm-hmm. passing, and all the all the people. Obviously, like you said, it's it's uh, it's still a tragedy. This this pandemic. Uh, sometimes, no you know, question. it's it's yeah, it's tough. Um, so, um, yeah. So, so I've heard that Indiana is was one of the only states, if not the only state, to uh, have all their state tournaments kind of go without a hitch this year, and we're all contested. You know, how much how much pride do you take in the fact that? All those were able to go and were were, be, were able to play, I should say. You know, everything, all the competition was played. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of pride, and you know, and a lot of our Midwest counterparts were able to have full season. Iowa and Missouri and Ohio, for the most part, Kentucky. But the one thing that Indiana was able to do was we did it uh, with a full complement of athletes. Uh, we didn't have to go to the state cross-country meet with half the kids or the state swim meet with half the kids or wrestling. Uh, every kid that had an opportunity to participate in a non-COVID year also had that same opportunity to participate this year. And I think that's one thing that I look back on um, that I'm most proud of is that the staff and venues worked hard. We didn't, so we didn't have to limit opportunities for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the keys to that in your mind? Uh, you know, I think the the a lot of planning, 
Uh, I think back to Carrie Sludecker when she was trying to open up an auditorium for a state swim meet, and I think Carrie's safety plan probably had seven or eight iterations um, <laughs> before we finally had one that uh, the state health or the Marion County Health Department was was comfortable with, and that's what our goal was all along. Um, so you, you had those types of things. Um, you know, football. As we walked in, we were doing temperature checks, and mm-hmm. we quickly learned that it took longer to get people in than we anticipated. <laughs> we had to adjust game times. You know, so there, there were always things out there that uh, you had to remain flexible on because of uh, just COVID, and you hadn't been through it before. You know, you when we opened up the auditorium with the state swim meet, they had not had anything in that venue over a year in over a year. Yeah, uh, most state championship venues that we went to was the first time that they had uh, reopened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of interesting. And then, you know, even in the spring, some, you know, you had to move softball and baseball, or not uh, baseball, uh, softball and track state finals, you know, from different locations. I'm sure that was another kind of monkey wrench almost in a lot of things. Um, so that was, yeah, it was pretty interesting to kind of see it uh, from from an outsider's perspective, watching you guys try to <laughs> maneuver the chess pieces on the board, so to say. Um, yeah, you know what was so great about that though. While moving in is always tough, Center yeah. uh, Grove for base for softball and, and Ben Davis for track and field. The, the member schools, both those school leaderships, from the superintendent to the principal to the athletic director uh, to the athletic secretary, stepped up and they opened the venues and said, "What can we do to help you host a state championship?" And, and, and that's just kind of the Indiana attitude. And it was just so phenomenal uh, to see that. And, and honestly, uh, kids had a great venue to participate in, show off their skills, and and uh, I don't think they missed a beat. Yeah. So this was obviously, we've already mentioned, a, a very chaotic year, but very successful first year for you as commissioner, I would say. Um, how excited are you to maybe have a quote-unquote normal year next year? I know some COVID is still lingering, but for the most part, it feels like we're going to be back to, you know, air quote, normal. Um, is it, does it almost feel like a second first year for you, given that we don't have to really deal with many COVID restrictions next year? Knock on wood, of course. Well, so, Knock on wood, of course. You know, I <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to the challenge of this year. Uh, you know, and, and I would say, I, honestly, I hope normal never finds its way to us because, and, and what I mean by that is, we have to continue to find ways to improve opportunities for kids' development and participation. And, and uh, during my tenure, I hope that we don't uh, sit back and say, that's pretty good because we're always going to be striving for a really good one. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that mentality. It's good to have. So right for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. definitely. All right, Paul. So and as you know, debates as far you know with sports regarding sports and postseason, especially in this state, you know, run rampant. I just wanted to know if we could uh, ask you a couple questions on your you know your opinions on a couple of these. We've got a couple of things written down for you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, this will be fun. I think so. Uh, if you say anything controversial, though, you know who knows. Uh, the tablets might get it, so you never know. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. Well, first one: uh, Will Indiana ever have a shot clock in basketball? Well, I'm I'm not naive enough to know that. Uh, what I what I have told people with that is that'll be the decision of the coaches and and the membership. This is not Paul Nike's just in this seat, and <laughs> if the membership decides they want a shot clock, 
and then it'll be considered by the association and the board. But what what I do say is this: uh, Indiana is a pretty special place, as you guys know, and, and we have a basketball tournament that every team in the state gets to participate in. And yeah. a lot of times, it's kids that grow up in that community, and sometimes they don't have a six foot eight postman or a guard that can shoot it mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. prolific, uh, prolific from the three and. And it's a coach, and we and we've also got, in my opinion, the best coaches in the country. And if possession control gives a local team the best opportunity to win, then that's certainly always going to be the goal. Mm-hmm. I really struggle with taking a coaching tool of possession control away from an Indiana coach. Mm-hmm. If his job mm-hmm. is to take the kids that are in his program and to put them in the best opportunity to win a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of been my approach to it. I mean, I understand the other side of the argument, um, but you know, collegiately, kids are recruited in to play around a shot Right. High school, you know, they grow up in that community and they have to play with uh, to the best of their ability. And, and sometimes possession control is what they need to do to be able to win. The other thing I would say is I've seen, outside of this year, I've seen a lot of basketball games in all corners of the state, and, and I cannot recall seeing a, a game where it was the full take the air out of it, ball on the hip, and wait for eight minutes to run by. Mm-hmm. I just haven't seen that. That's fair. That's you know? fair. Feels like an old, like, Dean Smith four corners thing, but maybe not mm-hmm. as much in modern times anymore, so... Do you get the feeling that uh, coaches are pretty happy with no shot clock, or is there have a lot of them debated maybe I, I, adding one? I think, <laughs> I think our coaches are situational. I think mm-hmm. if they have a team that uh, needs more possessions to win a game, they're all in favor of the shot clock. Mm-hmm. But if that same coach graduates four kids the previous year and ball control is more important for them, the next year he's going to be in favor of no shot clock. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I've seen coaches that uh, and dear friends that have been on both sides of that argument. And, it, and again, it's all about the personnel that you have on your team and put them in the best shot, best opportunity to win a game. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, what are your thoughts on seeding the sectionals, i.e., getting rid of the blind draw? I, I'm a little bit of a purist there, and I think. You know, most times the best team in the tournament ends up winning it anyway. Um, but what's wrong with a good draw going into the end of the season when you've had a tough year, and, and you can end the year with a little success if you, you know, if, if two of the, the the teams that don't have the great records draw each other and one of them has a great win, it's an opportunity for that team to to have that signature win at the end of the season, which may help them. And improve their program over the next year. Mm-hmm. And again, I understand the seeding argument, um, but I also our tournament's just different when everybody gets to play, you know. And that, uh, you know, and we already have examples of very lopsided scores in the state at times. Um, and I think a lot of times seeding that especially is you know just one and two, it just lends itself to that lopsided score. The other thing has been my experience. If a team does win a first game, they start having a little success in the tournament. That's different than the regular season. Their fans come out too, and mm-hmm. they support. You know, everybody loves a winner. <laughs> yeah. 
Amen to that. We we like winners too. Uh, makes our job a lot easier. So <laughs> and an underdog as well. And underdogs, yeah, right. Like even in, in micro, the micro example for us up here would have been Northwood girls basketball. State champions 2020 struggled in the regular season this past year, but won two sectional games, played in the sectional title. You know, so blind draw probably helped them out a little bit there. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I we, that's the the seeding debate is is one that's interesting to me. I, I can't. I'm a native of Illinois, so I've always grown up mm-hmm. with the uh, with kind of it being seeded. Uh, so still getting used to the blind draw a little bit. Um, but it's fun to argue it every time a bracket comes out. So, <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll answer that question many more times. <laughs> I know we won't be the first and we won't be the last to ask you about it. That's for sure. That's um, right. Yeah. So the next debate has to do with classes. Um, do you think there will ever be a day where state tournaments kind of go back to one class like it used to be, or maybe just basketball? What do you yeah. What do you think in your mind as far as that goes? I and I, I, I what I say to that is, I, I played in one class tournament in Ohio, it was special. Uh, the education structure across the state is just different than it was in the basketball heyday of one class. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back to the School Consolidation Act of 1959, uh, when, you know, at that point there was over 800 member schools in Indiana, and those member schools were in their towns, in their communities. And then that number started to dwindle as, you know, uh, two smaller schools combined into consolidated school, uh, and a lot of them that we see across the state today. And, you know, the just the number of, you know, Carmel High School sitting here at over 5,000 students, okay. and we've still got multiple schools in the state that are less than 100. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when we had class basketball, the, the disparity in school size was not as much. Uh, even with the Milan story in 1954, right. uh, Milan, uh, while Muncie was a, a large school, Milan was not the, one of the smallest schools in the state. Uh, and I've heard, I was told at some point, if there was a four-class system at that point, Milan would have been a 3A school. <laughs> right. You know, and so, uh, and I never want to take that story away because no. it's special in, in Indiana basketball, um, but. I just think it's a it's a difficult task um, given the the differences in schools that we have today. Mm-hmm. And definitely see that. And I do have a follow up to that. Could you ever see a day where sure. sports like uh, cross country, track, and tennis, which are single class currently, to uh, potentially bump up to multi class at some point? Well, I I think there's always something to be said for me about uh, being the best in the state. Right. Regardless of the size of school that you have, and you can go back and look through our cross country tournament, and you know there's years where we have kids that uh, we always have a kid from a small school in cross country or track and field that step up and and, and become a state champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I I would ever I would hate to ever take that opportunity to be the best away. Uh, one that that debate will continue. Um, the coaches association have the uh, mechanism to bring a proposal before our board of directors to make that change. And I, I've seen it probably surveyed among the, and I'm speaking specifically at this point to cross country and track and field. Uh, I've seen it surveyed multiple times, and it never garners more than than 50% support among the coaches in Indiana. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, will it happen someday? Uh, I think I'm real, real, a realist enough to know that it, it could. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think we, 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 we have to understand uh, in an individual sport, the opportunity to be the best, I think it's something that, that we have to protect regardless of the size of your school. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you answering some of those, uh, you know, hot button discussion questions. I know people get uh, get animated about a lot of those things uh, on social media, uh, talking at you know restaurants and stuff like that as well. So um, you did well. I think you I think you aced the test. So yeah, yeah. I think you did. <laughs> so uh, just last one for us, Paul. What's next for you in the IHSA here? Well, I think it's going to be an interesting year. I mean, we've made some bylaw changes recently, and and. We've now uh, opened up opportunities for emerging sports across the state to to be considered for uh, you know a, not, you know we would recognize them and ultimately could lead to other state tournaments and you know uh, we hear a lot about girls wrestling and, and boys volleyball and there are many others out there um, but there's a process put in place now that will allow um, uh, uh, sports that not have not been traditional IHSA sports, a path to be recognized, and then the association would operate the state tournament for those sports. So that would be really interesting to see how that evolves this next year. Um, you know, I think the, the next thing is uh, obviously the transfer rule. Uh, we're going to take some time this year with a group of people to study our transfer rules and make sure that they're appropriate for today. You know, with the NCAA becoming much more uh, open in their approach with name, likeness, and image, and, mm-hmm. and the transfer portal, um, we, we start to see pieces of that coming into the high school game, uh, or questions at least coming into our office. And again, I just I I don't I, I don't see it uh, at the high school level. You know. At least I hope I don't ever have to see it, <laughs> right? Because I don't think it's good for what we do. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine be even more complicated in high school, probably. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Maybe. NIL in high school might be interesting. I don't know if anyone wants to be sponsored by the Goshen News, but hey, you never know. So a couple extra bucks, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and sell and some papers about, for us. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. I, and that brings me back to the have and have not argument. Yeah, sure, the best kid on the team may get some dollars for doing that, mm-hmm. but the kid that's there for the experience probably won't. And what kind of team dynamic does that set up? Does it set up jealousy within a team? Right. You know, mm-hmm. and so those are all things that I think have to be considered along the way. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Paul, we could probably talk to you for another hour or two. Uh, we really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy man, so we'll let you go. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, this week on our podcast. We really, really appreciate uh, insight, especially coming directly from you know the head of the IHSCA. We don't get many opportunities to talk to you directly, so it's it's exciting to kind of hear your perspective on a lot of things and, and recap what I'm sure was a crazy first year for you here at, at the leader, as the leader of the IHSA. Well, appreciate it, and one thing I always wanted to make sure I do is I thank you guys for what you do. Uh, broadcasters such as yourself, uh, writers across the state, help us make opportunities for kids special. We appreciate everything you do to promote education-based athletics. I appreciate that, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And uh, 
That'll wrap up this edition of the Goshen News Sports Podcast. We want to again thank IHSA Commissioner Paul Nidig for joining us. We'll be back with another episode next week, talking more local sports, getting ready for the fall 2021 season. Hard to believe it's almost already here. Uh, we'll, we'll talk then.